I am a plain human and this is Astrobiological. Good day, afternoon, late morning, early morning, late evening, early evening, mid, whatever it is, wherever you are, whatever you happen to be doing. Welcome to Astrobiological, bringing you the universe in plain human. How are you all? It's been once again a few days since the last podcast, that's okay. Uh, there's no rigid schedule for these things. Um, hope you've been enjoying what I've been putting out. Um, please share the love. Um, listen to my other podcasts if you like. Uh, they vary in length. Uh, it's been a pretty uh, exciting week in astrobiology. A lot of stuff's been going on. We'll get that later. And it's also been a bit of a hectic uh, week personally. And I'll get to that later on as well. And what's there to talk about? Um, personal point of view. I've hopped onto the new IGTV. Um, a, uh, I guess it's a competitor to YouTube. It's been um, put up by Instagram. I'm in, on Instagram. I have a small presence there. Um, Ben's Lab, Ben's underscore Lab is the handle. Uh, that's not much help to you. This is then a, an audio medium. You'll find me, but uh, yeah, I'll put a few videos up there. It's going to be being well received. So I'm just trying that out because uh, this channel of mine, YouTube channel and whatnot, it, uh, it's still small, but uh, I'm working on it. And um, it's a lot of fun, I guess. I'll give it that. But whether it gets anywhere, well, who knows? Um, other small YouTubers, uh, Aaron Freeman, has approached me to do another collab. Um, I believe he would like to talk about. Um, living in different hemispheres of the same planet. Now we could uh, look at that from an astrobiological slant, which so uh, we could work out something with that, I'm sure. That'll be uh, coming soon, in the next uh, week or two. Um, yeah, stay stay, posted for, stay tuned for that. What else has been going on? Uh, the Facebook group's been doing pretty well, I must say. Um, up to, let me just check here. Let's get into the app on my, on my phone here. This is very bargain basement stuff here. Where are we going to Astrobiological or the Universe of Plain Human? The group is up to 458 members. I'm trying to get to 500. Go on, just jump on board, people. Hop on to that group. Join in, it's a lot of fun. And, uh, I've been getting into some terraforming type videos. Uh, do your own DIY terraforming using a Universe Sandbox 2, which uh, is quite popular. Some of you may have heard of it. And uh, I've been doing some things like uh, just, uh, you know, Casual things like uh, blowing up, blowing up solar systems. I uh, had a bit of fun with Trappist One in my latest YouTube video. Uh, they copped it pretty bad for me and died a fiery death. Uh, fun to watch. And also terraform Mars. So that was actually a little bit fun doing that. So I tried terraforming Venus. And that didn't work at all. But um, very educational game but, uh, because it you can only work within the confines of physics. Really, you can cheat a bit obviously but uh, you still need a bit of a, a rough idea of what you're doing and I'm gonna do some more terraforming videos of this terraform the moon last night I'm gonna do a video of that and that was a lot of fun I may put uh, audio of that uh, that video up although it's possibly a whole different thing in audio because uh, obviously terraforming on YouTube is a visual thing so I'll still I'll, I'll you know I'll Play all the other and see what happens. But um, 
if you like my channel and you're not subscribed, why not? Please subscribe, I'll be your friend. I'll pay you on back rubs, not really, metaphorically speaking. Um, but uh, share the love, get uh, some other people in, get other people on board. Um, yeah, please, it'd be greatly appreciated. I like the channel too, to go somewhere. But, um, so, back to what's going on in the world of astrobiology. Let's hop around on the phone here. Okay, very uh, exciting announcement came yesterday. Uh, 19 hours ago, an article by uh, Keith Cooper appearing in Astrobiology magazine. We're sitting there for this. Headline Complex organic molecules discovered in Enceladus plumes could hint at life. Mmm, very exciting. Carbon rich organic molecules, which could potentially form the building blocks of life, have been discovered in the watery plumes spewing out from fissures in the surface of Saturn's moon Enceladus. Their discovery enhances Enceladus's growing reputation as the best place in the solar system to look for life. Uh, these plumes were discovered uh, emanating from fractures known as tiger stripes, located in the 504km wide moon's southern hemisphere by NASA's Cassini mission. And the source of these plumes is an alkaline and mildly salty subsurface ocean in which life could, quote unquote, neon letters, etc., potentially be found. And although the ocean is currently beyond their reach, um, the plumes provide a way of sampling the ocean from orbit, which is kind of cool. And it's already been done by Cassini, uh, but I don't want to do it again. Now, organic molecules are built from long chains of carbon atoms and are the main components of biomolecules, uh, for instance, those which facilitate the biochemistry of life, i.e., DNA and RNA and proteins. And they can be produced by biological processes, however, their presence doesn't necessarily indicate that there's life in their cellulars. Organics can also form by geochemical processes uh, involving interactions between water and rock. So that's a little, um, you know, uh, cavat they place in. It's, it's true. Uh, organic molecules aren't necessarily biological in origin. It's a bit of a misleading term. Uh, organic molecules are essentially anything which contains uh, uh, combinations of carbon. But yeah. That's one to look out for, and I'm going to do a video on that. Possibly a short video for the Facebook group. I'll put up something bigger on Instagram TV or IGTV. Look out for that. That's awesome. Moving on. Okay. Now, as I've uh, mentioned earlier in the show, um, this week's been a little bit rough, personally. And... Um, a few days ago my father-in-law passed away so I just wrote a little blog post for him <coughs> I hope it's a fitting tribute and uh, it goes like this yesterday a little light went out from the world my father-in-law Joseph Abella passed away in his sleep Joseph hailed from the tiny speck that is Malta an island nation that has weathered countless storms over the course of its long history the earliest European civilizations inhabited the archipelago, which sits a stone's throw away from Italy. Malta has been invaded, attacked, occupied, enslaved and conquered more than its fair share. Through all of this, it has persisted. All I can say is, these Maltese are tough cookies. Even now, Malta holds its head up high as a tiny but prosperous member of the European Union. A genuine jewel of the Mediterranean, I intend to see it for myself one day. 
Joseph exemplified the stubbornness that has kept his nation going when all hope has seemed lost so many times. Even during the end, as his life eventually drained away, he was fighting, unwilling to give a single inch of ground. I'll tell you what, he didn't care less about political correctness either. Joe was fun. Science in recent decades has lost something. It's headed along a progressivist path, trying to reduce all of human existence and history to nothing more than quantum quirks. Standing with Joe's large family was a moving experience. Science would like us to believe that we're not much more than collectors of cells acting as one. Yesterday, I saw something more. A life was ending. Experiences, stories, arguments, knowledge, collected over a lifetime of punishment and adversity, it was all fading away with each struggling breath. When a priest came in and administered the last rites, I observed something else taking place. As relatives recited prayers and blessings and the priest gave sacraments, I saw what human beings have become and are capable of. We're not just bags of cells flossing across a rocky planet in an indifferent universe. We're stories. We create beauty when we perceive simple things. Emotion, meaning and wisdom have emerged from millennia of evolution. We are far more than the sum of our parts. In this way, emergence is creation. Joe, and everything he was, ultimately emerged from the firmament. And yesterday, in a kind of reversal, he re-entered the slipstream. Rest in peace. Terraforming has interested me for a very, very long time. Terraforming is, as some of you may know, the process of converting an, uh, a hostile alien world into something that uh, is at least habitable by Earth-based life. And it's, uh, it's been looked at realistically. It's obviously a long-term venture. But the other day I put a post on my Facebook group after messing around in Universe Sandbox and creating a Terraform Mars. I just... Uh, of thinking about the snapshots from the future, thinking that one day travellers may see a different Mars to us. The red planet can be a distant memory, and will terraforming ever be a serious venture? And a couple of members of the group uh, had some a lot to say. As Sigmund Copperod um, said, "How may we we define a serious venture?" And he believes it can be done. Uh, stating that there are several extremophile species that have been tested for a month in simulated Martian conditions. And moving on to other factors, we know uh, a magnetic shield could be used. Possibly uh, suspended at uh, Lagrange point 1, that's a point between Mars and the Sun, uh, which there is a gravitational equilibrium, so it would, uh, it would basically be suspended in that spot. And we'll do its job of uh, providing a magnetic field to Mars. Devolatization can be done or releasing volatiles from the soil of Mars. The permafrost, CFC factories, chlorofluorocarbon factories basically just pumping and polluting the living scuzz out of the Martian atmosphere to provide uh, atmosphere at all and uh, heat, thereby trapping heat. All of that looks doable. And Sigmund is of the opinion that the price tag looks like it's at around 3 trillion US dollars. And he believes it's doable if we put our minds to it. And I kind of agree. <coughs> I mean, I believe that uh, genetically modified cyanobacteria containing dark pigments could be a means of producing oxygen 
and raising temperatures by absorption of solar radiation. Uh, this method will be slow, for sure, very slow. Uh, I'm talking centuries and centuries here. But in conjunction with purposely polluting the atmosphere with CO2 or controlled nuclear explosions, <coughs> excuse me, it could be sped up a little bit. And Sigmund uh, believes that's not just that. We find large nitrate beds on Mars. We can use genetically modified microbes to turn that stuff into ammonia. Uh, also further kickstarting the greenhouse effect, which would uh, further heat the atmosphere. And people have to a large extent not thought about the potential impacts of microbes and genetic engineering. Also, what about using black lichen to feed off the CO2 at the poles and also to um, absorb heat from the sun? Good ideas. I agree. Black or darkly pigmented microorganisms uh, was what I was getting at. The nitrate beds things is an interesting idea, don't you think? And using biological means to terraform like this would be a slow but certain means of transforming the Martian environment. To which Sigmund replies, of course, used in addition to technological means, I'm in favour of both. And one of the nice parts is that as you move towards more and more complex, simple biological structures, you're also building up roots. Uh, yep, and I agree with Sigmund 100% there. Life, once it gains a foothold, is very long term. I believe it's very possible terraforming. It would just simply be the most massive engineering project in the history of the human race. Just imagine walking along a, a Martian coastline one day. Just, just incredible. And we wanted to talk about other things. Uh, Albert Lovato has some things to say. Uh, I wasn't quite as optimistic, but he also made good points. Asking about a magnetosphere. How would we produce that, realistically? What keeps the atmosphere from blowing off? Uh, Mars's, Mars, Mars's excuse me, atmosphere is thin enough as it is. About 3% of our own, so any atmosphere that we do produce artificially um, would be stripped by solar winds over time. And the magnetosphere, which Mars, which Mars currently lacks, uh, is instrumental in retaining an atmosphere. So that's uh, obviously a major engineering hurdle. Uh, where's the water going to come from? I believe uh, comets and asteroids. And he believes, Albert believes, it's three trillion was going to cost just to get there. Uh, what about the food, equipment, uh, the logistics of something like this? It's doable, but very, very hard. And yes, that's absolutely right. It will be very, very hard, but uh, where does the world is away? So, yes, it's a gigantic entering project, um, but it can be done. Uh, it will be a, a, a multi-generational thing. So Albert and Sigmund, some great points from you guys. Uh, Albert believes it's not it's not impossible. Just he just likes to identify problems that need to be solved in hopes of uh, solving them, of alleviating the issues. And all great points. And I'd still like to explore this further. And I would like to do a video on terraforming. I've been doing some in the universe sandbox stuff. And perhaps the group members could contribute further knowledge and ideas to put in one. And I'm doing that right now, with credit to Sigmund Copperrod and Albert Lovato, both of you have made some excellent points, contributed to a good thread. Um, obviously two very smart guys, thank you very much. Uh, full credit where it's due. Um, yeah, what can I say? Thanks guys. So, we'll end that little session, and move on to the next segment.
YouTube is uh, essentially a visual medium, as we all know. But uh, one of my more recent videos about the uh, Sterling rover being used to explore Venus um, turned out to learn sort of quite well to audio only. So, for your listening pleasure, here it is: an antique rover on Venus. One does not simply walk into Mordor. Its black gates are guarded by more than just orcs. There is evil there that does not sleep. And the great eye is ever watchful. It is a barren wasteland, riddled with fire and ash and dust. The very air you breathe is a poisonous fume. Not with 10,000 men could you do this. It is folly. <laughs> Mordor. <laughs> Amateurs. Subscribe. How you doing? Welcome back. Welcome to Astrobiological, bringing you the universe and plain human. I've done a few videos featuring Venus lately, I must admit. It's one of my all-time favourite places in the solar system. Actually, well, every place in the solar system is pretty cool, but Venus is in my top 10, for sure. Now why is this? Everyone seems to bang on about Mars these days, and I guess Mars is obviously awesome. I mean, yeah, The Martian is clearly one of the best films of all time, one of my favourites. I've read the Mars trilogy, I've seen Expanse, when is season 3 coming to Australia? Hmm, never. And Babylon 5 took us to the red planet quite a bit. Elon Musk, well, you know, goes without saying, he seems to be itching to get human boots on Mars ASAP. Again, Mars is pretty cool, for sure. Subscribe. But, Venus could do with a bit of love too. Explore Venus. And now first off, uh, how evil is Venus? It's not like actually evil evil, like Emperor Palpatine for instance, but it's pretty horrible. Downright hostile in fact. What is the deal with fire and evil? Don't ask me, I just work here. Subscribe. Dark Lord Sauron of Mordor would curl up and die. Five minutes on the surface of Venus. Really, it's that awful. Literally. Venus makes all of these places seem like a cool breeze in comparison. It's the hottest planet in the solar system. You think it's hot during summer? <laughs> you haven't seen nothing yet. Try it, Venus. We Aussies start to complain when it gets to like over 40 degrees Celsius. On Venus, it's 492 degrees Celsius in the shade. That's hot enough to melt lead. It's just plain hot. The funny thing is, Venus is actually really similar to Earth in a lot of ways. It's similar gravity, size, and geochemically it's quite similar as well. So, what's going on? However, that's where things take a turn. The only probes to ever make it to the surface of Venus, the Venera probe sent by the Soviet Union in the 60s and 70s, lasted at best about an hour and a half. The shortest being around about 20 minutes. And these things were built tough. Despite this, and everything the Soviets threw at Venus, it just chewed our probes and spat them out. Now, it looks a bit dodgy, but why is it a terrible run? 
Uh, it wasn't faulty engineering to give the Soviets their due. It, Venus is just extremely, well, it's just horrible. I've mentioned the extreme temperatures before. This epic heat is the result of an epic greenhouse effect, a, a thick atmosphere of carbon dioxide and sulfuric acid with 92 times the pressure of our atmosphere. So yeah, you can understand why the Russians built their probes tough, right? So, let's check in the story of an antique refrigerator. How does this fit into the story of Earth's evil twin? Uh, so though there were two main reasons the Soviet probes that did make it to Venus had died a fairly quick death. The extreme heat and the extreme pressure. Delicate electronics obviously don't do very well in that kind of heat. <laughs> Just put a mobile phone in an oven and see what happens. Or don't do it. Probably don't do it. <laughs> Various space agents have been working on designing a rover that could handle the conditions of Venus. I mean, studying how a place like Venus turned into a, a hellish wasteland is pretty important for us here on Earth. Because, well, let's look around. Right now, most of us seem to be going out of our way to transform this planet of ours into an unlivable dead zone. Understanding Venus can help us to understand planetary processes that help lead to catastrophic climate change. And maybe, just maybe, we could actually save our own butts instead of going out of our way to destroy them. So, rovers. You've most likely seen the awesome pictures taken by the rovers trundling around on Mars at the moment. Now, these robotic explorers have expanded our knowledge of Mars beyond our wildest dreams. We know more about the surface of Mars than we do about the bottom of our own ocean still. Wouldn't you just love to see those kinds of pictures from the surface of Venus? I would. Maybe Venus, you know, deserves its own rover. Engineers, yeah, they've been trying a lot over the years. Many designs have well, focused on minimizing the amount of electronics that could be destroyed by the fearsome heat. Now, some engineers, they've gone really minimalist with designs for clockwork rovers. Complete with, yeah, little caterpillar tracks to trundle across Venus like a little tiny tank. It sounds pretty cool, actually. Others have even postulated using these bizarre wind-driven contraptions, like these strand beasts here. One interesting proposal for a rover involves an old-fashioned device that barely made it into the modern age. One time, a Scottish clergyman was hard at work. He'd been a priest all his life, but like his father and uncles, he also had a keen knack for engineering. He was hard at work designing and building a strange little device. Well, maybe not so little. It was a special kind of motor, named the Stirling motor after its creator, Reverend Robert Stirling. Now, he had high hopes for his invention, pitting it as a competitor to the steam engine. At the time, 
these are quite dangerous as they were, you know, prone to doing horrible things like exploding and killing people. But as progress would have it, the steam engine was refined and rendered fairly safe for the general public to use, and the rest is history. So, Sterling's engine was virtually forgotten. Not completely though. It turned out that this uh, weird little device of Sterling's uh, had some surprising applications. In the area of not only industrial refrigeration, but also portable refrigeration. See where I'm going with this? <sighs> I wonder, what would be a really useful application for a highly efficient portable refrigeration device? <sighs> Let me think. I wonder what they could possibly do with something like that. I don't know. Ah, ah, okay. So uh, yeah, that, that's the plan. Keep the electronics uh, required to explore a hot to nasty place like Venus nice and cool. Um, using a relic pulled up from the age of steam. That's kind of cool. Subscribe. I'm not going to go into the engineering behind this little beastie because I'm not an engineer. Full disclosure. But that doesn't mean I can't respect smart people doing smart things. So should you. And you. And also you. It's pretty cool really. All this you know, science stuff. Here are some awesome Rover designs for your viewing pleasure. This last one is a tentative concept design for a Sterling Cooler Rover. Mm. With a bit of luck, this little fella may be able to roll around on Venus for up to three months, and we can see a heck of a lot in that time. I can't wait. Please, 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 let it happen. Let it happen. Oh. oh. Once again, thanks for watching. Venus and other worlds like it can teach us a lot about our own. That's why we put so much effort into exploring these other places. It's a big deal, really. My name is Ben, and this has been Astrobiological, bringing you the universe from plant human. See you next time. I wonder what they could possibly do with something like I wonder what they could possibly do with something like that. Subscribe. And that's all for today. I hope you've enjoyed listening. Uh, thank you for joining in. My name is Ben, and again, this is Astrobiological, bringing you the universe plain human. I'll talk to you next time.